Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. It's a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. We're hitting that last quarter of the year, so you see we're getting budget conscious with the music. I'm starting to play our own intro music for us. That was a little me on the steel drums right there. But today we got a great show in store for us. Uh, but before we introduce our guest, just want to thank our audience, 51,000 faithful subscribers. We've gone up quite a bit since this last guest has been on. It's a repeat guest for us. 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. You can still get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher, but we are the latest podcast network on iHeartRadio. We want to thank them for the opportunity. Make sure after this show, you give Mark and Will five stars, write some great comments, because we also battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like they do in Major League Baseball. So with that, I want to introduce Mark and Will. Welcome back to your show and uh, let you guys get to your guests. Great, great to be back on. Great to have Roy back on for a second time. Uh, Roy, you're one of our one of our first guests on our show, and now we brought you back, um, and we're glad to have you. Uh, to give some of the, a little background, I'm not going to go through the whole bio like I did the first time, but I will let our listeners know that you pitched eight years in the major leagues with Minnesota, Cleveland, and Baltimore. You have a World Series ring from Minnesota in. Uh, 1987. Um, you've had jobs uh, as a scout. You've been a special assistant to the general manager. You've been assistant general manager in charge of player personnel. I believe you were even an interim, interim general manager at one time. You've been vice president of scouting and player development for the Dodgers. Um, and currently you're, you're a professional scout with the uh, New York Mets. So Roy, we're great. To, we're really glad to have you back on again. Well, great to be here, guys. Yeah, we, uh, you know, I think Will has some 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 questions to lead in here uh, about some things that you've seen in baseball. I will say one thing, though, and I failed to say this last time, and I was just thinking about it, and because you and I are both very, we're very close to Doc Edwards, and and I I remember Doc telling me that when I, when I was coaching for him, I played for him, but then I coached for him in the big leagues. And he was telling me, have you seen Roy Smith? And I said, no, he says, Mark, he really reminds me of you. Yeah. I, I, I forgot to tell you that last show that we had. Uh, and then when I used to watch you. I go, yeah, you kind of do a little bit, you know, like it was funny that he saw us both kind of the same light. He said, same kind of person. He said, too. Well, he's, I, he, I mean, he got me to the big leagues. You know, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, just like most great teachers, they, they he kept things simple. He he kept, he put things in a in a way that was easy to understand. You know, and just like probably the guy that you know that my man, the manager that influenced me the most, um, Tom Kelly. They 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 kept the game very very simple, but what they did was. They made it very clear what they expected out of you, you know? So when you came into the locker room, there was never any question of how you conducted yourself, what the rules were, uh, what lines not to cross, what, you know, how they expected the game to be played. And those, to me, those are the two guys, Doc, who managed me, but really taught me the game, taught me how to pitch. And Kelly, who just more out of observation on my part of, of how to handle a team and get the most out of your players. That's, it's funny, you know, Doc, for me, of all the managers I work for, and I work for some good ones, he was the most knowledgeable about pitching. He he looked at it the same way I did. So when we had to talk to a player, or, you know, sit a guy down and talk to him, we were talking the same language. And we knew exactly uh, what we wanted to say. If we wanted to talk to a group or the starting staff or something, um, we really played off off us well. And the other, the other thing he's funny about you said mentioned Tom Kelly. I, I came up with Tom Kelly through the minor leagues, and we were even roomed together at one time. Um, so it's funny how you have connections with the same people uh, years apart. Yeah. No. Well, when I played for Tom, it was easy because you know, in a in a in a different context, he was he was speaking the same language as Doc. You know, um, there wasn't anything complicated. No. No. Okay, Will, what do you got, Will? Well, you know, I got a couple things. You know, as you can hear our conversation, it's all common sense stuff that we all believe in. It's the truth. And, uh, 
we always talk about communication and we and those two guys exemplified it and were impacts on many many players careers and had long successful careers but uh you know on a couple things you know our lead-in music i thought that was somebody from the dodgers who were on vacation uh no longer in the playoffs but uh you know roy and i go back and forth when we see things and because we kind of live in the same world as you can hear of common sense pitching and roy texted me on a couple things uh just recently and i'll let him expand on them one of them was uh logan webb's complete game it was a throwback game and uh orion kirkering who we've talked about on here that is kind of skyrocketed from the 2022 draft as a fifth rounder to the big leagues who hasn't given up a run for the Phillies who are now playing for the national league championship. And Roy, I'll let you go on those two subjects. Well, I mean, I was out in San Francisco. I, I have um, San Diego as part of my coverage. So they were in San Francisco for three days. And um, I, I, Logan Webb wound up throwing a complete game. I believe the final was three, two or two to one, um, but he gave up nine hits uh, the thing about it was, and that excited me, was, um, you know, in the ninth inning, he, he allowed two singles to start the inning. One was a scratch single through the four hole. Another one was a line drive, a humpback line drive over, over shortstop. Now, even in the normal course of things, the way we, you know, would want the game to go or, or remember how your, you know, your ace stayed out there longer, if, if the Giants were in the, in the race, um, you know, Logically, he he wouldn't have probably started the ninth, and 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 wouldn't certainly wouldn't have had a chance to stay in there after the leadoff single. But you know, it was late in the year, and they were out of it. But the, the biggest thing for me was how this guy—you you saw him visually, you know, bow his neck, um, not be afraid of the moment. Um, you know, as I look back, he subtly changed his pattern a little bit as the game went on, facing the the the, the lineup third and fourth time through. Um, again, uh, he had first and second and nobody out, then second and third and one out, got a ground ball to the first baseman, and they threw the man at third out at the plate, and then finished it off with a ground ball to second. Attacked the entire way, never got into a miss the bat mode, stayed with what his strength was, didn't, didn't try to do something he wasn't capable of, um, you know, in, in, in the, when the situation got bigger. And I was thinking to myself, now here's a kid. I looked at his numbers, um, uh, you know, when I got back to the room. He's had complete games before, but, you know, as we are in today's game, it's either a shutout or a nine to one game or something like that where you're not really tested late in the game. And I was thinking to myself, even as much as this kid's been around, um, you know, not, not a whole lot, but a, he's kind of a young veteran now, he is going to love that feeling of shaking hands on the field when the game's over. He's going to want to feel that again. Now, does that mean it's going to lead to complete games? Not in today's game, no, especially in close ones. But is, is him striving to get deeper into the game after the six where, okay, where rather than the attitude of, you know, all right, I've done my job, more to, oh, no, no, this is my game. I'm better than anybody you can bring out in the pen, out of the pen. Now, we both we we all know strategically, you know. Sometimes if you have a deep pen and you're lined up and your guys are rested, that's the best way to go. I, I don't have a problem with that, but it's the striving to go deep, the and and him remembering what he did earlier in the game that led to to the to the um, the efficiency that allowed him to stay in the game. His pitch count was low. He attacked all night, you know, um, and and didn't try to miss the bat when he didn't have to miss the bat. Those are all lessons that you look back on as you as you review the game in your mind, or maybe go over it on the um, you know on the chart the next day. That stay with you and and become part of your your um, your game plan uh, every game. You know the problem is we just don't let kids experience this. It, it, it can't be something that's that's in theory. It has to be experienced. You know. And that's that. And I and I was saying to Will afterwards, and I kind of almost probably sounded like a little kid who was going to his second or third big league game. I found myself rooting for this kid so bad in the ninth, you know, 
um, because I know what that feeling's like. I, I, I didn't have it a lot in the big leagues, but I, I, uh, I did some and a lot, in, in, especially in AAA. Um, and, you know, kind of seeing him grow, not in terms of his stuff, but in terms of the presence, the, the, the fact that the guys in the field, you know, this is our guy. This is, this is our ace. This is the guy we want on the mound, you know. Um, that's lost in today's game. That, 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 you know, my father coming home from work and saying, um, hey, you want to go down to the game? Uh, maybe we'll go down to the game on Friday. Mel Stoudemire pitch, you know. Or as I got older into my teens, um, I can remember watching a Nolan Ryan, Tommy John um, matchup, right, you know, right before the, the summer I signed. That, that's lost in the game now, you know. And even if you have that matchup, those guys are only going six. Blake Snell, who probably is going to re- win the uh, Cy Young, was gone after six in that game. It was a hell of a, it was a heck of a matchup by, by today's standards. Yeah. But, but, you know, Snell had 104, uh, I don't know, was that a hundred pitches? Um, again, I'm not, I'm not making a, you know, a, 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 an assessment of, of what his thought process was or anything like that. But I, you know, that was, that's what he does. You know, that, that was it. Um, and that's our standard now. I don't know if it's the kids today. I think we've we've lowered the standard. Yeah, you know, the, it, it lowers the pitcher's expectations. You know, guys aren't angry now when the manager comes out. Uh, we all used to be angry because we wanted to finish what we started. And so many of the great starters over the years, you know, the manager didn't want to ever have to go out and take out Gibson or Carlton or Seaver or Palmer or any of those guys because they always believed they were better than anybody else that was coming in. And most likely they were, even tired. Um, good pitchers are good pitchers who need to go keep pitching. And More than anything, it's, again, we, we, we aren't conditioning the pitchers in the minor leagues to go d- deeper, so right. that's not it's not their fault. No. But – it's this thought that the guy in the pen is going to be better, you know. And if you if you if your pitch counts low enough, that's not necessarily true. The, the 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 people in the office aren't giving any credit to the 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 kid the kid on the mound to be able to think his way through this. He knows best what he has. He knows best what feels good. All right. Um, we have to allow those those kids to to adjust and to fail, you know. And, and, and to, you know, learn how to manage the game. That, that is not taught anymore, how to manage the game. There are free strikes within the game, depending on the scoreboard, that you can take advantage of rather than go into a miss-the-bat mode on, you know, when you're up by five runs and you're facing the bottom of the order. You know, Roy, we talked about that last week. You know, we grew up in an era where the five starters were the five best pitchers. So you always want your best pitchers on the mound. And then, you know, guys who ended up in the bullpen, they might not have as good a command. They might not not be as uh, good at sequencing pitches or they make more mistakes. They might just have sheer stuff, but they, they make, you know, you know, you know, can't go two, two times through the order or whatever, you know, and, and that's such a forgotten thing. Like we're starting to elevate, that the relievers are more important than the starters, and they're not. <laughs> well, did you did you see the um, what's the name of the kid that pitched for Minnesota that pitched so well? Um, uh, uh, Lopez, Pablo Lopez. Lopez. Yeah, Lopez. Uh, it's the first time I've seen a graphic on TV where his batting average was lower third time through the lineup. Right. Okay. Now, I will tell you this that. I don't think guys get the opportunity to show they can do it. So they just paint it with a wide brush that says nobody is any good third time through the lineup, or you're never any good through the third time through the lineup. You know, there's times when you have better stuff, better command, better rhythm, everything to where you are definitely better the third time through. And I will say that I pitched for 11 years and, and uh, had a lot of complete games. And I always, I always knew that it took me a little while to get my feet on the ground. But once I got like to the fourth inning, I'll guarantee the batting average, I think was less the last part through the, through the, through the end of the game consistently. And I'm sure everybody in my era 
that's the way it was. I mean, you know, if it, if you were that bad, Jim Palmer wouldn't throw 25 complete games. I mean, let's get real. And, and and my biggest thing, and we preach it all the time here, is not getting the, giving them the opportunity is is not saying they can't do it. It's just saying that you're not going to let them do it. Right. What you're also doing is stunting creativity. You know, I was I I was throwing my breaking ball behind an account, or maybe a changeup to a lefty behind an account, with a lot more confidence in the sixth and seventh inning than I was early in the game. Absolutely. You know, and 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 I was also thinking in those terms. Whereas whereas early, maybe if I'm I, before I have my feet on the ground, uh, and my rhythm, I'm like, oh no no no, I don't want to go. It's two one. Yeah, I'd love to throw the change here to this lefty, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go three one. So let me let me pound the zone here. Probably go down the way. Make them do something the other way. But but now I'm deeper into the game, and and I'm I'm in that rhythm. And and you both you guys know that know this when you're deep in the game and you're in rhythm, everything is effortless. You don't feel right. Like, you never feel like you're maxing out. You know, right. if you have a guy at third or, or something like that late in the game, okay, yes, you you're gonna muscle up, but you're you you look back and say, boy, I. You know, I maintained my velocity the whole way, but but that, I got to the fifth and sixth. It wasn't even like it wasn't even like I was pushing it at all. You know? I have a question for you guys as pitchers. You you know they they assume that the hitters are getting smarter on the third time through the lineup, which is they're learning your stuff. Yeah, it's safe to assume that the pitchers are also getting smarter the third time through the lineup. Well, but the hitters are always up in the the late in the game. The pitchers aren't in the game then, and right. and that's that has to be taught. It has to be. I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, after a game or, or the day after a game, I'd be walking by Doc's office, especially my first year in AAA and then into my second, and he would call Smitty, come here, and he'd pull out the, the, the pitching chart from the day before and point to a part in the game, look at this pitch sequence and say, Smitty, now what were we thinking here? What were you thinking? He says he came inside to that lefty and he pulled you down the line for a double. That's the only place he can hurt you. Right there on 2-1. I, I go, but Doc, I, I, I jammed him the last time up. Okay, that's the last time up. You don't think he's making an adjustment? Now, what, what's the safe play there? You're up by two runs. Go down and away, and let's see how far he can hit it to, to left field. That, that's a form of analytics too, isn't it? It's percentages, you know? And that, that part of the game isn't, isn't being taught. So, you know, as, as you go through the game and you get deeper into the game, you're much more confident in – in doing, you know, people talk about changing their pattern. Changing your pattern can be as as little as three or four pitches. The one zero change up to the lefty that lined out to you uh, to right field on the, the last at bat that's just waiting for your fastball, you know, um, and 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 you get a front foot two hopper to second base. It's very subtle, but as both of you guys know, also one out and nobody on is everything. It's everything. There's not a there's a, Steve Carlton and and Bob Gibson gave a little sigh of of, of a deep breath when he had one out and nobody on. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah, you're one pitch away all the time. Then right, exactly. So so none of this is is conveyed. I don't think. Well, you know the thing is that you talk about all this information the analytical people can gather. Um, it's too much to ask somebody to remember unless you're doing it on your own. Right. Remember what somebody tells you. And I don't think that like they like you said, they don't cover third time through the lineup because they don't expect you to go through it. They don't they don't say, hey, this guy turns the field around. Oh, this guy. Ha- hey, how many times, Roy, when you were pitching or, or Will, you had a guy and you go, I've got, I punched this guy out twice and popped him up once. It's his fourth time up. He's swinging first pitch because he doesn't want to get to two strikes. So I throw a different pitch, first pitch, uh, a finer pitch or a breaking ball or something that he couldn't ambush because I know he's going to do it. That's that's the instincts that you have from pitching. Analytics doesn't tell you that, that he's going to do that. They're not going to go, hey, the fourth time through the lineup, after you punched him out a couple times and popped him up or jammed him, you know, he's going to first pitch swing. No, they don't tell you that's That's the information I used to give to my pitchers. I'd say, hey, this guy, you dominate him the first two times, he's going to swing the next two times first pitch. Because I know, I watched the guy. I looked at videos. I, I see other people that have dominated him. These are the things that 
like, again, I keep going. They try to play a video game, these analytical guys. It's not a video game. It's a game where you got to think. You have to be able to make adjustments. You have to not be predictable. I mean, the worst thing you can do is when you have a big lead, you become predictable because that big lead is going to diminish in a hurry. You, you, you know, guys go, oh, I'm two, I'm two and one or two and oh now. I better, I better throw a fastball down the middle because I got a seven run lead. Well, guess how that's going to play out? You know, they're going to start bombing you because now you're, you're predictable when you weren't predictable earlier. You know, I, I had, uh, you guys remember Mike Birkbeck? Yeah. Was, you know, good pitcher, hurt his arm. Uh, didn't throw as hard later on when I ended up having him, but he had a good curveball and changeup, and we signed him in Double A with Cleveland. And he put it really well. You know, we would talk about his game plan, and, you know, he'd go, well, you know, first time through, I'm going to go frontwards. I'm going to go backwards. Third time through, I'm going to be creative as hell and go sideways and all hell's going to break loose. But he had a game plan all the time. You know, he never stayed in any patterns and it always stuck in my mind, creativity. You know, guys like Maddox, how creative he was. Uh, Roy, you were a creative pitcher. After I hurt my arm, I had to become extremely creative to get people out because I just didn't have the same sheer stuff. And Mark, you went through injuries and did the same thing. I don't see pitchers have any creativity. You know, the the the, the thing that none of the analytic people, you know, they're, they're prepping the hitters, they're prepping the pitchers, they all have the same information. And you have a bunch of pitchers who have the information where the, where the, the blue zones and the hot zones are. Everybody's kind of just going at those without any creativity of how to sequence and mix unless you have people who actually do think on their own. And there's not as many of them as we, as we all know. You know, it's, it's crazy. Go ahead, Brian. Well, that sequence is sequencing is unique to the person on the mound. Not, you know, not every sequence or even changing sequence applies to that, to that guy on the mound. Right. You know, I always use this as an example. Had Greg Maddox signed today, all right. I use Tom Glavin. A, would we be giving them the game plans instead of allowing them to, to to cultivate the feel off the charts feel that those guys had? No, we we'd be we'd be programming. Two, talk about creativity. And again, Mark, you you were the pitching coach of the big leagues. I I I doubt seriously. That somebody went up to Greg Maddox and said, "Hey, why don't you throw that two seamer at the left left-handed hitter's hip and right. let it break over that inside corner?" Somebody suggested that to me. Now I could never make the ball move that much, but if somebody suggested it to me, I would say, "Are you nuts? That ball's going to be wrapped around the foul pole. Forget about it." Right? He had to have come up with that himself. No, he. That's what happens is guys make pitches on their own. They can be mistakes, and they go, "Damn, that was that was a good hit. I couldn't handle that." Let me try that again, and pretty soon it becomes part of your repertoire. But, you know, this is what I used to tell my guys. I go, listen, if you didn't have a scouting report and you just fell off the moon and you're pitching against some other team, you don't even know who the guys are. I said, if you move the ball around and you change speeds and you're not predictable and you don't throw the same pitch 0-2 every time, you don't throw the same pitch first pitch every time, you don't throw the same side of the plate every time, I said, it's pretty hard to hit. Because those guys have nothing to grab onto, even though you don't even know them from anything. And I had a chance to, I had a chance to try that when I went back. I went to Australia during off season and pitched, and I knew nobody, I knew nothing, and that that just reinforced what my my philosophy was. I just moved the ball around, and and they couldn't predict anything. They couldn't hit me, and it wasn't because I was throwing great stuff. It was just the fact. It work, It works, and that's why Greg Maddox or anybody with command. That's why they they. It bothered me so much that they just keep emphasizing velocity. These guys throwing. Well, how did that work out yesterday for the Atlanta starter? He threw a hundred, and they're turning that shit around. Right. You know, like like because that's all they look for with him. All of a sudden, he gave up a home run on a slider, so he dumped the slider. So now he's not predictable. Guys are fouling balls straight back to the screen and he keeps throwing fastball. I mean, of course that's going to happen. It doesn't matter how hard you throw because, because you're not being creative. 
you're not having confidence in your other pitches. You got scared off of one of your best pitches. Right. You know, you, you, you know, you talk about facing guys you never faced before. You're also your only focus when you go out to the mound is doing what you do best. And that was the other common thread between Doc and Kelly was that I don't care. They, they never they never really got into the opposition that well. The whole focus of their philosophies, whether a doctor pitching or, or Kelly in terms of his team against your team, was let's do what we do best and let's then, let them worry about us. We're not going to get anywhere unless we – if I ask you to do something you're not capable of doing, we're not going to win anyway. You know, exactly. and wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that Lombardi's theory? theory? Yeah. We're going to run this sweep. You know, that, that famous um, clip of him, you know, hey, we're going to run this up the alley and, and John Madden – talking about how he went to a clinic where Lombardi talked about the Packers sweep for seven hours. He didn't care because what, 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 that he was giving you what he knew because we're going to execute so good. It's not going to matter. Right. Well, no, depth over breath, depth over breath. Hey, what do you, what do you about this? O two? two, we've seen an epidemic of O two two base hits. I know you guys have been going crazy on text message with that. <laughs> You know, that's uh, one of my, I can't stand it. Uh, it just shows how poor our command is. The guys, they always revert back to stuff. That's the first thing you used to teach a young pitcher. Listen, when you got leverage and you're ahead in the count, just make pitches. Don't try to outstuff them because that's when you'll make mistakes. And they right. constantly try to outstuff somebody. Right. Uh, I'm not saying they're trying to go to a good location or whatever, but you got a lot best better chance of missing that location if you're max effort in it. Well, it goes back to Roy's point about like what he's talking about with Vince Lombardi. You got to be yourself in that situation. Absolutely. Be thyself. Know thyself. Well, are, are they reading the bats? Have we, have we allowed them to, to do that? You know, I, I've, you know, on, on the, on the, and, and again, I've, I always thought giving up a hit on O2 was a, um, you know, I, I thought that was negative, uh, coaching I always felt like what was your 02 pitch as it um related to your your 01 pitch you know if if I saw the guy off on 02 right and I know I've speed, sped the bat up well I'm I'm not going to I might not come inside and move his feet I might I might try to get him to reach for my slider you know um since I've already sped the bat up now if I make a mistake and I give up a hit, okay, that's on me. But at least my thought process was there. Let me let me be aggressive, since I have the most, um, the biggest advantage that I'm going to have in that in that in that at bat. Let me be aggressive and go after him. Um, and again, you know, I, I shouldn't be trying to trying to get any part of the plate on that O2 pitch. I, I should be trying to make him make him chase, right? But at least my thought process is is correct. What happened, I, what I found was, you know, guys were throwing pitch outs just so they wouldn't get fined for giving up uh, hits on 02, you know? Yeah, you don't waste it. You don't waste the pitch. No, that's that way. You use it to set up, and it's always a strike to ball pitch. It's a strike to ball because you want the guy to have it. You have a chance of him swinging if it's a strike to ball pitch. If it's a ball to ball, you got no chance unless the guy's out of his mind. And once in a while, you see guys do that. But, but, it it has to have a purpose, and, and it can also be a purpose. Well, I'm going to throw a strike to ball pitch here. Um, it's going to kind of start in the strike zone and go out of it, whether you're going either side or up and down. But I'm I know what I'm going to throw the next pitch if he doesn't swing at it, right. because I've set this is also used as a setup pitch, not just a chase pitch. And that's the point. Not many guys know this, and they don't even practice it. I used to have to force my guys on their side day, okay, let's throw some O2 pitches. Let's do that. And when I was director of pitching with the Rockies, we used to have big presentations in our theater, and we would show videos of really bad uh, leverage pitches, and then we would show good ones in every type of pitch and say, now this is a good break. This is not a good breaking ball. It's too much of the plate. You know, this this fastball here, if you're going to go up top, you better have the kind of command that you can get it above the top of the strike zone and you're not going to make it down down in the strike zone. You know, he, it, 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 it played into the Twins game that uh, Sonny Gray pitched the other day and uh, Przinsky was trying to sound smart on there about, he was talking about tunneling and he was talking about Sonny Gray's sweeper and 
Um, you know, Mark, you, you, you said it. First of all, it's got to look the same. So that's tunneling. It's coming out of the same release point. It has to look like a strike and go to a ball. That's a good pitch with two strikes. Not just any old wide breaking ball that we're teaching, which will play into something that Roy's going to talk about here in a little bit about Orion concurring. But, you know, we see the sweeper and they're looking at, oh my gosh, it broke, you know, three and a half feet or whatever. (laughs) Well, if the hitter sees it's a ball right out of your hand, he's not going to swing at it. Uh, So, you know, okay, that's, that's now the fancy word of tunneling. Or if it's coming from a different arm angle, and the, the hitter knows that it's a breaking ball, he's going to stay back. And if it's just flat on the same plane, that's what got hit all day long off of Sonny Gray the other day were bad breaking balls that didn't go strike the ball, that stayed in the hitting zone, that stayed in the, in the hitter's bat barrel path, and they got hit hard. And, and that's the thing. You know, you know, they have all their new technology and terms to make it sound – different but those are things that we were always taught our whole our whole lives when we're throwing our fastball or curveball or change up our slider it has to all look the same coming out of our hands and then when we're ahead you go strike the ball it has to look like a strike it's not oh shit that ball's off the plate i'm not swinging yeah no if i could jump on something right before we get to that and and, and i got a lot of thoughts on that but uh along the lines that we were talking about creativity um, now, as a starting pitcher, especially in the minor leagues, one of the biggest pains in the ass that you had was keeping the chart the day before you pick. Right. Nobody wanted to do that, right? Now, in Minnesota, we had to do it in the big leagues, too. As I look back, I realize now that that helped. A, that entire game, that entire game before I pitched, my head was I, – I wasn't messing around. I wasn't looking up in the stands. Right. I had to watch the game, Right. right? And, and, you know, it's, it's like when you get your degree in college, you don't know what, you, what you've learned until you have to apply it. It's years later. Um, uh, Frank Viola was, you know, one of our pitching coaches in our system with the Mets. And I'm explaining to somebody in the office that had never played about um, pitch sequencing. And Frank was standing near me. And I said to Frank, I go, when you tripled up on your changeup, was it a – was that a pre-planned thing, or were you reacting to the to the bat? Now I I know what the answer was. I, I set the question up just for the for the for the the kid that was listening to us. And Frank, of course, said, "No, I'm reading the bat. I'm seeing if he's adjusting stuff like that." And when the guy walked away, he said, "Man, you know a lot about the, the way I pitch." I said, "Frank, I had to keep your chart. Right. I keep Lila's right. chart. I I saw the way you pitched. I, you know, and." Did I use what Frank Viola did? Nah, not that much. But there might have been a couple of things that Blylevin did that that helped me. You know, there might have there might have been a couple of things. And again, exceptional stuff. I, I wouldn't compare my curveball to Burt's in a, in a million years. But I I don't know that 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 had to help. Just the entire game, you were forced to watch. You were forced to watch hitters' reactions and stuff like that. Even though you you dreaded having to do that. You know, I, I I don't know that that's not lost now either. Yeah, no, it, it's not. A, a lot of times now, especially even in the big leagues, the pitching coach does the pitching chart. Or the kids, or, the, or in the minor leagues, we're looking at the kids in the stands with the computer, you know? Yeah. When, when, I, when, I was, when I first got off the field and I was managing and coaching the Orioles organization, um, I, I was managing first, and, and I, but I helped out in big league camp, and and uh, I always was a chart guy and, and Ray Miller was the pitching coach. And he says, Mark, you want to look at the chart we use? I said, yeah, I want to use the same one with my pitchers. And, uh, and he and looked and it was a kind of conventional chart and everything. And he turned it over on the back. On the back, there was a place to put every hitter's name in the lineup and a place for notes. And he says, all my pitchers, they watch the game and chart it. And then they make notes on the back that they can use in setting up for their game plan for the next day. And so I had my guys do that. And I've always talked to my pitchers like that ever since then. You know, you take it for granted that guys would do that on their own if they're keeping the chart. But if you make them take some notes 
some drastic stuff. You know, guy, this guy's consistently getting jammed today. You know, you got, you got to remember that when the guy comes up, the guy's bat slow or whatever. You don't know why, but you know, this guy might be a great pull power hitter, but guess what? Everybody's jamming him for a week for whatever reason, either he changed something, uh, he's tired, he's sick, you know, who knows, but that's why advance reports are so important because they see the guy just before the series on the advance. And I will tell you this. I had a guy, guy was a first baseman for Milwaukee. And I'll never forget this the day I lie, the last day I live. The advance guy told me, he says, Mark, there was a left-handed hitter that used to pull the ball. And he goes, this guy's flaring ball after ball to the line down the, down the left field line. And he's a left-handed hitter. He says, I don't know why he never does that, but the whole series before he's playing you, he's doing it. Well, we had so much information on the guy. We played him off the line. And at a big time in the game, he hit the ball exactly where that the advanced scout told, told me he would hit it. Even though in the past, all the reports were that you never had to guard the line. And after that, I believed everything the, the advanced guy said, because they're in the moment. And, and it became easier when video, I was allowed as a pitching coach to get the video on the plane before the next series so I could see it for myself. You know, I could see the pitches working, but this is before there was video. So you had to go totally, you needed to go by the advanced guy. Yeah. No, you know, Mark, and I, you know, I don't know if you remember in 07, we played Boston in the series and Mike Lowell had had a bad year in Florida and then ended up going up to Boston in the second half of the year with two strikes, he started looking out over the plate. And yeah, he had everything the other way and up the middle. So did Pedroia. And 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 we had, you know, we had gotten him out in Florida, and I think our people felt comfortable with our the pattern. And I don't think they bought into what we saw when we advanced them. Well, th- th- that's another thing is that when you're playing in the ALCS and NLCS, you've played those teams. You know those teams. They're in your league. Right. You know. Uh, of course, now it's different, but you do play some of these teams in the other yeah. league. But back years ago, advanced reports were really important right. because you never played those teams. Right. You may think you know those guys from a couple years earlier than when you're in your league or whatever, but you need to take that. And I remember we did that advanced report, Will, on Boston in the World Series. And... <laughs> And we emphasize, because you don't say a lot of things, you know, like when you're advancing, I mean, you got to let them play, but, but you say, listen, Pedroia and Lowell turn the field and with two strikes with anybody on base, they hit the ball the other way up the middle. And we, and Lowell ended up being MVP of the world series and he got all his hits up there. And it made me really mad because we were on such a roll. I could understand because we thought we could beat anybody. We won 20 out of 21. Right. But we're now we're playing the other league. Yeah. You know, it's a different thing. So that always stuck in my craw that, that yeah. you know, I always thought, did I not emphasize that enough? You know, right. I highlighted it. Right. No, you know, hitters make adjustments. I, you know, I remember one year my, I was coaching in the New York Penn League and Marquise Grissom early in the year couldn't get to a fastball, you know, coming off of the aluminum bat. Now you're having to use wood bat. Swing was a little bit long, but he was such a good athlete. We played them six of the first eight games of the season, and we pounded the shit out of them and got them out. And we didn't play them again till August 1st. And we, our pitcher goes in and, you know, we had notes and said, you know, you know, we got him out inside, but, you know, you know, let's see where he's at. And first pitch of the game, he tur- pulls his hands in and hits a freaking bomb and my pitcher looked over at me and i just said hitters adjust you know (laughs) you know especially this guy who's a great athlete who's going to end up being a about a 10 or 12 year big league all-star player at times and really talented guys you know but it's a learning lesson that you need to watch the game watch the hitters in the moment and see when guys are making adjustments well, yeah, that's, I mean, you saw we, <laughs> Grissom hit that home run 
against Baltimore in the playoffs that time when he was playing for us for Cleveland. And it's because we had the, we had the, the Benitez, uh, we had his, his uh, pitches. We had his pitches because he was doing something different with his glove on certain pitches and he hit it out. I mean, those are one way, you know, those are an adjustment or somebody sees it from the dugout that really can turn a game around. But, Probably the most famous one of all time is the Dodger with the Gibson home run oh, in 88 yeah. with Jerry fun. Stevenson and Mel Didier. Yeah, Didier you and know. Stevenson. Yeah. I, I have that scouting report. I was lucky to have the actual scouting report. Jesse Roscoe gave it to me and uh, because I wanted to know how they beat Oakland because we had to play him. And Jesse was with Cleveland now, and he gave it to me. And I remember I got the page, and it says that, Eckersley likes to backdoor his breaking ball in this situation or whatever. And that's exactly what the situation was. I mean, it wasn't a whole bunch of information in there, but think about it. That changed history. That one advance by that's why you can't, you know, those guys that are watching these guys that are baseball people that make evaluations, they see stuff that an analytic guy might not even see. Right. I, I would, you know, because we have access to so much information in, in terms of just the advanced portion of scouting, um, as, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, how I would set, set it up today and, and having done it a couple of times for playoffs. Um, there's so much that you can get, you know, that, that your analytics can, department can, can provide in terms of trends and stuff like that. So in terms of the guy that's at the game, that's going to give you a report on a team that, that's almost out the window now. That that's that's being done for you. I think in, in a perfect world, if I was a GM tomorrow, I would pick an ex-manager as my advance guy if he were willing to do that. I'd certainly have him watch our club the entire uh, spring training, so he gets a feel of what everybody's strengths and weaknesses is. This way, when he's giving his advance report, it can be particular to that pitcher or that hitter, you know, and, and just little notes like, Hey, when, um, when, uh, when Will George is on the mound, uh, with that slider, be careful to so-and-so because he, you know, really, really likes the ball down the way or, or again, that style of pitching again, it, it's not, not for every single hitter, but just little certain things, particular to that person. Um, the other thing is, Again, because of all the information, I, I always tried to look for something like like Mel came up with with the with the back door, which would have been detected by analytics today anyway. Um, who's who's the guy on the other team that runs better than you think? Who's the guy that that even though he's a fringe average runner, is excellent at going at first to third? <clears throat> who's the right fielder who, even though we have him as an above average arm, doesn't really like to throw? Or, or, or charges the ball very slow that we could take advantage of. Who's the first baseman who we want to handle the ball, even though, you know, his fielding percentage or his ra zone rating is great, he doesn't want to throw the ball to second base. That's where we want to direct our bunts. That's, and, and, and a lot of times it's the, ma the ex-manager that can see the body language and everything like that that can, that can pick that out. It's a little counterintelligence. Yeah. You know. Well, you know, we, you know, it's funny because I, before all the analytics stuff, I used to go through and try to find pitchers that were like my pitcher that was going to pitch that day, right. that had success against this particular lineup. And I used to look, and it used to be, it was unbelievable, it was uncanny. Let's say a, a guy that had a pretty good sinker, and my guy had a good sinker, and I would look and I go, God, this guy dominates this team. And damned if our guy wouldn't dominate him. They just weren't good at handling sinkers. And in today's world with analytics, if you want to use it, you can match up. you got the exact same pitches. You say, who, dom who, who pitches well against this lineup? Boom. Okay, let's put them over here. Now let's see how they match up uh, similar to our guys. You could even do it for relievers. You know, like you know, how to use relievers and stuff matched up against guys that are very similar. Now that you can with analytics and spin rates and angles and, and break and all that shit, you can, you can, you can get a pretty good read on what it is. And if it's very similar to your guy, believe me, he will have success against that team or that hitter. Well, it's, it's Mark. It's funny you say that I was sitting 
in the our dugout with the Twins one time, and and Mike Bodiger, who you well know well, yeah, was pitcher for the Red Sox. And I said to Dick Such, I said, "All right, Dick, I, I'm not a hard thrower. Mike's not a hard thrower. Tell me, tell me the differences." And it wasn't so much stuff, although Mike Bodiger obviously a much much more successful pitcher than me, but. Boddicker was willing to walk guys that, that could hurt him. I, I would love to look at like Kent Herbeck's numbers against him. I, I, I can remember Kent getting two and three walks a game on games that Boddicker pitched well against us because that was the guy that, that Mike wasn't going to let him beat. That was our left-handed bomber, and he wasn't going to beat, beat us. He figured he could get Puckett to chase. He could get um, Gaetti to chase. Um, and I just had this mindset that was – drilled into me i just wasn't good enough to walk people you know and that and i i made up my mind that that's the way it was going to be uh they were going to hit me off the mound and it was, that's probably that's probably why doc said you and i were the same because i never wanted to walk yeah, anybody well i i and I, I years later i was talking to tom kelly and you know i said should i have pitched backwards a little bit especially when i got my feet on the ground for a little bit in the big leagues probably but that was the girl that i brought to the dance you know, but, but my my whole goal. I'll give I'll give you an example. It kind of ties in. I was putting a um, pitching presentation together, and I was talking to Jeff Bittiger, another guy, right-hander that was a finesse guy. And I said, I said, Bit, when you walk across, you know, I'm going to be talking to a bunch of guys, scouts that that haven't pitched. When you walked across the foul line to go to the mound uh, in the first inning, what was paramount on your mind? He goes, Smitty, I did not want to walk anybody with the bases empty. Right. I was going to be aggressive and make them hit their way on. When I got in trouble, okay, I'm going to be finer. But I, my goal was to, to make their hit, them hit their way on. And, you know, I could have – I just – it's a confidence thing too. You know, Boddicker had the ability to change uh, arm angle. I mean, there's a guy that changed – we can get into the sweeper now. Yeah. He came sidearm, but um, – and this is, this is a good segue into it. The other thing about throwing a sweeper when you're dropping your angle is being able to stay closed with your front side. Right. It's really hard to drop to drop to three quarters, and and still still stay closed. Mike could do that a little bit naturally, even if you try, it's hard. And what happens? The hitter sees ball, all ball. All I ever get out of the analytics guys or or their analysis is what happens after the pitch is released. Well. If the, if the hitter sees is looking at that box at the release point and identifies breaking ball before it's released or right at the point it's released, you're done. There's there's going to be no chases. He's no. going to track it the whole way. Yep. You know, um, and 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 if you're releasing the ball at a, at a foreign angle that you're not used to, and yet front side is now opening. You're going to be throwing a bunch of cement mixes that you're not going to have as good a command over. I don't care what the shape is and what the spin rate. Is. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. I mean, I I, yeah. I, I know I know what the, the the thinking is. I I had a good curveball. I was always trying to find a a, a, a slider, a cutter in between my fastball and my curveball that that was good enough. It, it, I I tried for the last day. I threw a, a pitch com, a competitively. Now, I can remember first throwing a slider when I was young. I was like, okay, I, I kind of got a 12-6 curveball or 11-5 curveball. Let me get a more lateral break. I don't know that I said the word lateral, but let me get a, get a different shape. And I would subconsciously drop my arm. And I, I was constantly reminded, Roy, maintain, you know, let's, get, let's get back to your fastball. Let's get back to your fastball slot. You want it to look like a fastball. And, yeah, when I did drop my arm, it wasn't real good, you know. Right. Is there a way to manipulate as opposed to drop an arm? We, I think you guys were talking about this pre-show. Is there an alternative of potentially manipulating the fingers as opposed to dropping the arm for all the young kids in the audience? Yeah, and, and Mark could speak on this much better than I can, having been a coach. But but if I wanted to if I wanted to get a chase on my curveball, I held it tighter. All right. When I was just trying to get it over, I held it looser. Um, because I wanted a tighter break on the chase. I wasn't. As well, certainly wasn't concerned with throwing for a strike. I wanted a, a harder, sharper break that was going to bounce before home plate. All right, um, 
And that's the way I did it. Again, did I make a science out of it? No, it's it's trial and error. It's getting your buddy to, to, to get down and squat in the outfield and throw off flat ground for about eight or ten pitches, get the ball to spin off your, your fingers and kind of mess with it in your hand. But from a consistency basis, I would I would uh, ask Mark. It's, 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 you know, it's feel and the understanding, uh, like Will mentioned earlier, uh, throwing out of the same slot and release point as close to possible on all your pitches. Hey, sure, there's guys that can throw from like Louis Tiant, and you mentioned Boddicker, and guys that could you know, maneuver their body, had great body control, and their arm swing. They could change their arm swing to a different slot and then go back to their other one and repeat it. You know, very few people do it. And and it's you're asking for a disaster if you try to do it and you really don't have that kind of body control. Uh, I didn't feel like I had that kind of body control. I tried a few times. Um, but I always felt like success was, like you said, tightening pitches down when you needed to tighten down, but they were from the same slot. Right. And whether you had a mentality of holding it tighter or looser or or taking your fingernail and making sure it was over the front of the ball, um, those are the, you know, that's kind of the things I used to do. And uh, I used to, when I wanted to throw a good anything, whether it was a changeup, a breaking pitch, a fastball, I felt mentally, I felt I was holding onto the ball longer because I was getting it way out, making sure that I disguised, whether I did or not, I felt in my mind I was disguising the pitch because the farther out I got it gave the guy less time to react to it. And he did have trouble reacting because on the good ones that I released out there, they followed my line so close that they couldn't really detect what type of pitch it was. And I used to, I used to laugh guys. My pitchers used to laugh when I used to tell them, challenge a guy with the change up. And they, what do you mean? I said, go get it. Let it eat. You're behind in the count, throw it right down the middle, but just let it eat to the bottom of the zone. So hold on to it a long time and finish it. And it, you know what? You'll never get hurt if you do that. You know, I see these guys push change-ups. They throw them in the right time, but then they push them because they decelerate and they don't want to sell it I, because uh, they want to, they're want they so concerned about throwing a strike that they forget about the most important element, which is the arm speed and selling it. And that's it. I watch it in the playoffs. If you if you throw – I can throw a good change-up to any hitter. Jim Tomey used to say that was the one pitch that he had. He could not detect it all if the guy had a good one. And that's the same with most hitters, great hitters, Hall of Famers. That's it. You know, but you got to have the guts to do it. You're selling fastball. You're selling fastball all the way through it. The longer you sell it, the more that hitter thinks it's a fastball. I can't believe when I see guys slow up and push and don't get through. You know, I used to exaggerate my follow-through on my changeup, but I had a good yeah. changeup. Because I wanted him to think I was, you know, I've I've seen guys really sell it by grunting on their changeup to make the hitter think that they're trying to get more on their fastball. That's, right, right, and you know, guys, guys that are, you haven't practiced it enough. If you ha- if you push it, that's because right. if you if you practice it enough, you're getting it out there. You know oh, what a good God. one feels like. That's yeah, my you- big thing. That's what feel comes from. You know a good. I know I got to get it out there with, and put backspin on my changeup. Backspin. No, and, no, and, just... and, and, and I used to throw a four seam. I mean a two seam changeup, but with backspin on it. And and that's what I did. I wanted to get it out there and put as much backspin as I could on it because it allowed me to to have the arm speed that I needed to sell it. I just saw I just saw a kid in the fall league that uh, threw up the ninety five ninety six that. Had the best backspin I've seen this year on a changeup. That I went, wow, that's old school right there. He really, really got out through it really well. So it'll probably be a good big league pitcher. Yeah, exactly. When, when, I, when I talk to scouts about it, when they put emphasis on movement on the change, to me that's third or fourth on the list. Right. You know. Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's maintaining your arm speed and your and your arm release speed. point. You know, and getting out, getting way out front. The one of the maybe the best right-handed changeup of any guy I played with was John Butcher who stayed behind the ball and threw a full, like you were saying, Mark, a four seam change without hardly any yeah. lateral movement at all. You yeah. know, the other thing is, is, and, and again, th- this is something I rail against and, and frustrates me is that since we have to deal with 
pe people in the analytics department so much who haven't played. Um, you know, they don't know. Everything isn't, you know, you, every adjustment isn't made by something that can be quantified. I'm, I'm, work, I'm, I'm working like hell trying to find the right grip on my changeup almost through my whole career. And I think it was 1989 when I kind of got my feet on the ground and, with the Twins and had a good year, a full year in the big leagues. And I'm talking to Randy St. Clair, who was up and down with us, who was, turned out to be a heck of a pitching coach. And I knew then he would be a good pitching coach. And he was working with me on my grip. Um, and he was, you know, he was in the bullpen. He wasn't a coach or anything at that time. And I, I started to have a little success with his grip, which was kind of just three fingers. And he pinched his pinky and his thumb below the ball. And so we're talking, you know, uh, we hadn't talked in a, in a little while. And, and he says, hey, how's it coming? I said, good. You know, he goes, yeah, I noticed you got a swing and a miss the other day, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, how come you're not throwing it to any right hand? I said, oh, I'm not going to do that. And he goes, why not? And I said, I'm going to leave it inside. I'm going to get wrapped around the foul pole. I know it. He goes, Smitty, you're taking – why are you thinking that way? I said, I, I just don't feel comfortable. He says, well, let me ask you something. He says, you have any problem going down away with your fastball? I go, no. I go, I, I think that's what I do best. He goes, yeah, that's, that's exactly what you do best. He goes, so tomorrow, go down away with your fastball. Except use your changeup grip, right? And I was like, "There you have uh, it." Yeah, exactly. It was it was a, it was a mental change, it's a paradigm shift. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a hard yeah. until you do it, you you can make all kinds of excuses not to, right? Well, and, yeah. and that's why I used to throw bat have them throw batting practice fastball changeup, so they could start to understand the reaction of a hitter, no matter where you threw it. You know, my when I teach a changeup. I always say there's four aspects. It's the only pitch pitch that has four aspects to the pitch, but you only need one of them. You know, the aspects are location, speed of the ball, action, and arm speed. Arm speed is the only one that really matters. Right. I used to say, if you throw, uh, for another example, you're throwing fastballs down and away, Roy. If you're behind in the count, Throw your change up right down the middle. You may get it, you may think about getting it away, but guess what? That guy thinks it's a mistake fastball. Right. Because it's a fastball count. So it's more important that you have the arm speed on it than where it ended up. Because you've already fooled the guy because it's a fastball count and you just threw him a fastball. So you got him set up perfectly. Location, you can throw high change ups if they've got good enough arm speed. It doesn't matter. They still don't hit them. I, I, what as I long as you're selling it. Right. When I did get on a little bit of a roll, my change, which I, I didn't ever really get it, but my my whole goal, what I, in my mindset, I, I I followed what Randy said, so I kept the fastball mentality, but that kept my my arm speed going. The other thing was I aimed for the back of the plate. If I aimed for the back of the plate, I had to reach out. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and did it always end up there? No. But by doing that, I maintained my arm speed. And I'm, I'm out front on it. That's. What two of the four things you talked about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys ever play long toss with the changeup to, to work I, with your speed? I'm a big I'm a big advocate of that because when when kids are learning change ups, the only time that they use it is when they're going through their motion on the mount. And it's not as natural. Where if you if you long toss with it, you get the feel of a different grip coming off coming off your fingers. The toughest thing to change your grip is not having not having the ball come off those two middle those those two fingers that we're used to having it come off of since the, you know, we picked the ball up at like three or four years old, you know? So now you're using different fingers. You have to get used to it coming off those fingers. If you're long tossing, you have to, you have to um, uh, use full extension. You have to reach out out front. Yeah. Well, guys, we kept Roy for almost an hour here. We appreciate your time. You have any last questions or Roy, you want to leave the audience at anything special? Uh, no, I, other than the fact that I just I just enjoy this, and, and, and it certainly doesn't feel like an hour. No, guys, tons no. of nuggets in here. I, I wrote a ton down myself. Today's, today's, today's change-up day for my older son, so he's, we, we long toss that way. Yeah, you know, some people tried to teach that drag the back leg. I never was one of those guys. Well, you know, I wanted the delivery to look the same. Well, the other, you know, the other thing uh, Viola talked about was and, and it's a very, very subtle thing, is not driving as much with your bottom half. And really, the, where you feel that is, is the inside of your, your, um, 
your back leg, your 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 your, right. your, your pivot right. leg, right? If if you know when you really drive, that's where you feel it in, in, in your in your groin, kind of up your thigh and the inside of your thigh, right? So Frank said when he reached his balance point, everything was the same, and then he just fell, and and it was yeah. like slow with your legs, quick with your arm. I think that that's the thing is, and that's the way I am on everything, you know, quick with the arm, the arm is the emphasis. So he was keeping his body under control to where he could make sure the arm beat it. Right. And also, you know? and also what you do when if, if the first time you tell somebody that the, the natural thing is not to, not to turn your hip as much as you normally do when you're humping on your fastball. And Frank said, that was the key. I, I would all the way up till the point where I separated my hands and I was at my balance point, everything was the same. And then instead of driving as much as I did on my fastball, I let my front leg just fall, but I was maintaining my arm speed. Right. Yeah. I, and, and, I, and, and the other thing, I'm sorry, but the other thing is he told me, he goes, by doing that, did I sometimes shorten up subconsciously in order to make sure I might, he goes, I probably did. And, and, and Bly Levin talked about that with his curveball too. He said to me, he goes, Roy, anybody tells you that they don't shorten up a little bit, you know, is fooling yourself. Because I, you, you, have to, you have to allow the hand. The hand has to lead on the breaking pitch. Right. hand I, has to lead on the change. Well, there's, there's no way I can generate the spin that I do unless I'm sure that I'm out front. And by doing that, because I'm not conscious of it all the time. And, of course, we didn't have the measurements back then. But I guarantee you, sometimes I'll look at my foot. And, yes, I'm an inch or two shorter. When I'm out my curveball, he goes, and then I know I, I got things going. Now I know I'm in sync with my body. That's what uh, Ray Miller taught uh, when I first signed with the Orioles on your curveball and your changeup, shorten up an inch or two. Uh, it made it so much easier to get it out, and it also made it easier to finish it, and which gave you that, you know, effort look to the hitter that you were still coming fastball. And then all of a sudden, you know, you had one going down, straight down for me was my knuckle curve. And then my changeup was fading away from right-handed hitters. And then my fastball was four seam and it was riding up. So, like, it worked It worked off of, like, the same premise of what Palmer was doing as a right-handed pitcher with the Orioles and other guys that we had that, that that's what they were teaching us. Okay. Well, guys, great, great show again here today, episode 315. Mark and Will, you want to leave the audience with anything? Any tease for next week? No, I, you know, hopefully we're going to have a guest on next week, another guest that everybody will enjoy. Um, I just want to say that, uh, you know, the things we say on this are from experience. Right. And, and experience is a good teacher. And, uh, you know, we can – analyze things we can think we see things but when you've experienced them and people that have experience are sharing it um i think it's pretty special yeah you know we've not you know we've we've felt it as pitchers um we've taught it as pitching coaches and we still see it and you know your eyes don't lie your feel doesn't lie and 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 all those other things don't lie to you they're they're, they're truthful experiences i get all three of you guys had great information for the audience today Fifty-one thousand seventy-four countries roy if you weren't global before you're global now um great information out there and we had dan jennings on who you guys know earlier this week on one of our other shows and he made a great comment about experience and I uh, said, you know, there was a time when baseball was at its peak and that's when experience was revered. And I think the, the knowledge that you guys shared with our audience today is invaluable. I spent half the show writing because I'm going to use that stuff. I'll use it enough to where I'll think it's my own at some point in time. But uh, appreciate what you guys give to the audience. Uh, make sure you guys give uh, Mark and Will five stars on a day at the yard. Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Write some nice comments under there for both them and Roy Smith. Uh, Roy, fantastic. Uh, I mean... You've had a great career in baseball uh, as a player and uh, as a coach and in, in scouting. And, I mean, you're just, just a bundle of knowledge. We're fortunate to have you here. We hope you can come back. Well, thank you very much. I'd love to. Right now, great. Thanks for coming on, Roy. Yep. Thank you, guys.